That was our prayer. So let's dive into God's Word. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. What I would like to do is begin with verses 1 and 2 and then flip over to verses 9 through 13. That part of Romans 12. And our focus today will be on On verse 10. This is God's Word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another, love one another with brotherly affection. Is it fair for God to require that we have affection? That word means fondness of heart. Is it fair that God requires us To have that fondness of heart. Is it fair, is it reasonable for God to command a feeling? Does that make sense? May He do that. I want to take a little detour into history to sort of illustrate kind of the problem, set up this problem. Um, in, in, the, uh, in the Council of Trent, uh, right following the um, Reformation, uh, two, uh, two things were established by that Roman Catholic Council that I want to underscore. The first is that justification um, by grace alone, through faith alone, that was rejected and that was actually called a heresy. The Reformation doctrine that you come to a right relationship with God by trusting fully in Christ's merits to you, for you, on your behalf, that give you a status of acceptance with God. That was declared to be heresy. Instead, they said that you become justified, you become acceptable by becoming holier. You become acceptable by getting better. 
the more sanctified you become, the more holy you become, the more justified you become. And even at the end of the day, you still need merits uh, from the treasury of the saints in order to top you off to a level of acceptability. Are you following me? Do you get what I'm saying here? Okay, that was considered anathema. That idea of justification by grace through faith. The, uh, one of the other things that was decided upon in that council was that, and I'm going to use an old, an old Ameri- um, authorized version word here, concupiscence. Do you, do you know what that is? Compu- con- con- Concupiscence. <laughs> I haven't said that word in a long time. That word, uh, that word uh, means inordinate desires, usually of a sexual nature. De- sexual desires, then, uh, that are uh, inordinate or that should not be in place, cannot be forbidden. You, you can't make a law against having sexual feelings that are going in the wrong direction. You can't be responsible for sexual, for lustful thoughts. Of course, if you act on it, that's a different story. Now, why would they draw these things together? Why would they make this connection? If you are trying to save yourself, if you're trying to build up some credit with God, Acting right is hard enough. You shouldn't be held accountable for your thoughts. That's simply too much for a self-salvation to handle. But we're going to look squarely at this command to love one another with brotherly affection. We're going to look at it unflinchingly. And love, uh, you might say, is divided up or includes these three different elements. The first one is allegiance to God. Allegiance to God. The Lord, uh, your maker is your husband. He is your husband. He brings you into the family. And there are other siblings in that family that you are required to love. And so love is a house rule. You love uh, out of allegiance to God, what he has done for you. The second part of love is that it is an action. It's a behavior, and it can never be less than a behavior. You cannot say, go, uh, be warmed, and be filled, and then finish your lunch without giving it another thought and not doing anything about it. Love requires doing something. Allegiance to God, action, and then finally, affection. Love includes having a heart attitude towards God and others. It begins, this text begins with the word genuine. I'm not playing games. I'm not play acting. I'm genuine in my love. And there is affection in my love. I'm not just doing actions, without, although they are important. The authorized version, I think, translates this verse better. The reason I say that is there are two separate words in this passage, love one another with brotherly affection, that are actually describing in a beautiful way the contours of what that love is like. And this is what the authorized version says. 
Uh, be kindly affectioned to one another in brotherly love. There's a quality to your love. I'll put, even make it a little, bit, a little bit more simple. Feel the same love and affection for this family, this family out here, as you have for your family. That's really what it is saying. Feel, feel the same love for this family as you do for this family. Now, we've got a little bit of Roman Catholic attitudes in us, I bet. And what I mean by that, have you heard people say, you don't have to like them, just love them. Have you ever heard that said? I have. You don't have to like people. They're objectionable in many respects. But you do have to love them. One of my purposes today is to dismantle that ungodly notion. It's like you can, you can do something nice for people as long as you're holding your nose. <laughs> Just tolerating them. I, 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 can, I can remember a time um, when I had been misbehaving towards my wife, who is now in California, probably not listening to this, but I was misbehaving towards her in some way. And I can remember coming back and saying, I'm sorry, probably not in a very, a very appropriate way. And I also had some flowers with me. Okay, That was an act of love. Bringing flowers and saying, I'm sorry. She threw the flowers away. Tossed them in the kitchen trash can. She smelled something. Something just didn't smell right. So was my action sufficient? She would think not. And from this vantage point, I would think not as well. So warm affection is commanded to delight in people, to enjoy them, uh, to, to value them. That is required. That's required. You're required to like and not just love. You can't... St- here, here it is, people. You can't settle for tolerating people. You can't stop there. We are to love with genuine affection. Now, in order to even make that statement, I just have to, I have to start with, uh, with, with Jesus, the affection Jesus has for you. Because this is, the wide Roman Catholics would, would get rid of this idea of having to have attitudes that are pure. It's just, it is just so high a bar and it can undo us. And so we have to, we have to start with Jesus' affection. Uh, we have to start there. The story of the Bible is Jesus' affection for his bride. That is, that is the storyline throughout the scripture. Jesus' affection for his bride. And, and, and by the time we get to Revelation, he's got her at the altar and ready for the consummation. But it starts, it starts way, way earlier. I have done by this time in my pastoral ministry several weddings. And, um, and it's, I love, I love doing them. My, performed for some of you, I'm sure. But 
Um, there's the big moment in the wedding when the bride is coming down the aisle and the mother usually sitting right there. She's, she stands up. The, move, the music gets a little bit more urgent. You know, there's, a, there's an expectation. Uh, there's, there's a, everybody is, is looking at her. And what I, will, what I will often do as she's coming down the aisle here, I will glance at the groom and I will just look at his expression as he sees her delighting, delighting in her. I can remember years ago, um, a wedding out of state, where, where I went, I, I, the, 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 the groom was standing up front like this, literally, during, the, during her march down. He was, he was uncontainable. Un, un, and you could say he was just jumping with, jumping with delight. My, I would contend, my dear friends, and this is very important for us to pursue, is that we cannot grasp, we cannot adequately grasp how much affection Jesus has for us. I want you to turn back with me to Jeremiah, I'm sorry, to Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. I don't have a page number on that. But Isaiah 62, uh, verses 4 and 5. This is what I said. This is part of the storyline of the Bible. As God is uh, giving this great, uh, through Isaiah, giving this great uh, prophecy that also carries with it um, a blessing for uh, these huge changes. You'll no longer be called uh, forsaken. Your land will no longer be called desolate. Listen, but you shall be called, you shall be called, my delight is in her. That's the name for God's people. My delight is in you, in you. Verse 5, for as a man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God rejoices over his bride, delights in his bride. This is not isolated in Isaiah. I think of Ezekiel chapter 16 where it is, uh, it, Israel is described as, and it's an abandoned infant. It would be called exposure, where you leave an, a, a newborn out, exposed to the elements with the expectation that it will not live long. There is great shame that is connected with that. But this, this, um, the Lord comes and, and, and bathes and, and blesses this little child. And she grows up to be a beautiful young woman, but she's still naked. And the Lord spreads his garment over her. That is the commitment of, of marital relationship. And then listen, your beauty was perfect. Through the splendor I had given. This was a, this was a, a child became a woman who had no, nothing righteous in herself. She was full of shame. And, and yet, my beauty was perfect. Your beauty was perfect through the splendor that God has given. And this is what Luther and others would talk about as the marriage exchange, where, where the, the, the righteous status, the, the, well, where, well, let's start with the woman, the, the shame, the weakness, the sin, the foibles that, that she brings into the marriage. 
All are taken over by the husband. All that I am, she says, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you, and there's nothing but bad news. But then the husband brings, gives her splendor, gives her righteousness, gives her that status before the Lord, and he says to her, all that I am, I give to you, all that I have, I share with you. He delights in her and has covered her with righteousness. And that, and getting Jesus' affection changes us. It changes us in our weakness. In our weakness, first of all, we experience, we experience uh, the affection of Jesus through what we'll call compassion. Compassion. In your weakness, your, your deformities. Jesus has compassion. He, he knows, Psalm 103, He knows how you are formed, that you are dust. A young couple was in the hospital. They had been, she had been in, they had been in an accident and the woman had uh, some serious uh, problems with her face, actually, and her, her smile had become uh, her, her, her face was drooping and her smile had become dis- distorted. And a doctor, a doctor watched as her husband came in to see her with that once beautiful face now distorted. He contorted his lips in such a way that he could match hers. His compassion for her, his tenderness towards her in her brokenness. Jesus has affection. And in terms of our weakness, it's called compassion. Jesus has affection. And in terms of our sin, it is called mercy. And his sins, also 103, Psalm, uh, sins are, are removed as far as the east is from the west. We get this wrong so easily, brothers and sisters. Matthew, or Ephesians chapter 5. He loves you to make you beautiful, not because you already are. And that even in your failure, even in your failure, and I would say your repeated failure, you continue to be bathed in your husband's warmth. We hardly grasp such affection. But that's the affection that Jesus has for his church, for us. And so to be devoted um, um, with a warm family affection to one another makes complete sense, doesn't it? Men, men, you are set free to love um, to love um, your sisters, your sisters, with sisterly affection, appropriate sisterly affection. Don't need to be afraid. Men, you are free to live and to love one another with brotherly affection. You don't need to be afraid. So, secondly then, we show warm affection for blood, brothers and sisters. We show warm affection for blood, brothers and sisters. So, the question is, um, uh, whose blood do you have? 
Um, it, is, uh, it is a very easy thing to have brotherly, brotherly affection for a natural brother, isn't it? They've got the same blood, they, uh, the, same, uh, the same genetic background. And uh, in our family, I know we, the kids get together and, and they love to hear and, sh- and share the stock of family members. Remember when dad said that or mom did this? And a lot of enjoyment about that. Um, my son Kirk was uh, in New York, lives in New York, and my brother will come through every once in a while and always takes Kirk out to dinner when he comes to New York. And Kirk told me recently, Dad, sitting with this, with this guy across from the table, it's, looked like I'm, it's like I'm talking to you. My brother, my brother. And I get closer through the years. That's, that's an easy thing to do. But what unites us is more than what unites your earthly family. What unites us in Christ is more significant than the relationships or the, or the, the sense of unity that you have even with your earthly family. It is, we have, a, a, we have been bought with the blood of Christ. We're in the same family and have the same, the same blood. That doesn't mean you have to be best buds with everybody. But it does mean God calls you to be warmly affectioned to everyone who shares that blood. And one of the things that this, is, it's, the, this chapter, uh, chapter um, 12 in Romans, is going to talk about just going, it's going to just go through. The rest of the chap, the rest of this section could almost be, almost, almost be summarized. Not only let love be genuine and abhor what's evil and hold fast to what is good, but also love one another with brotherly uh, affection. The whole chapter is going to be unpacking this one. I've got a lot more to say about this, but for right now, one thing to be aware of, one thing to be focused on, is attack whatever cools your affection. We're supposed to have this warm, brotherly affection, so attack whatever cools that affection. Just three things today that we want to talk about for a moment. One is spats that stay unresolved. Spats that stay unresolved. Could be in your home. Could be here. Could be with another believer elsewhere, but, but spats that stay unresolved. It is really hard sometimes to walk at peace with, in peace with people. And some people will simply ignore the problem because it's too big or it's too scary to deal with. And just, just walk away. There, there are two things, two ways that you can approach this. You can forgive a brother without words. You can forgive a sister without words. That's called forbearance. It's forgiving someone without even bringing it up. It's covering with the blood of Jesus without even talking about it. And you can try forbearance. It's a good thing. We would wear each other out if we went through a process of confronting every sin. That would be, we don't want to, that's just, you can't live that way. Partly because your eyes are going to be more on other people than on yourself, which is a real problem. So you either forgive without words, 
But if you can't find peace, then you forgive with words. That is, you go to a brother and you actually walk through the process. What is the offense dealing with that? How, does it, how has it affected you and your people around you? And, and you, and you re- come to forgiveness. So you deal with spats, either without words or with them, but you deal with spats. They don't go away. They go underground and they'll pop up somewhere else. You deal with spats. The second thing, the second thing is some people are just annoying. They rub you the wrong way. They grate on you. You just don't like them. Anybody like that that you have in mind? Possible? Not asking you to name them. But you've got to deal with your pettiness. And a couple of ways to do that is, is first see them as the same blood. See them as the same blood. One thing that I've done um, as I've dealt with people, had people that that uh, I just don't mesh with as well as I do with other people, is, is I remember that they're image bearers of God, and I, and I look for their gifts. I look for the qualities that they have, oftentimes qualities that I don't have. And I thank God for that, and, I can, and my heart is warmed to them. And sometimes I walk away from a situation like, I can't believe where that warmth came from. It was so strong. But that's, that's, that's dealing. It's, it's dealing with that annoyance through the power of the gospel. The, the, the third thing is sometimes we just feel superior. Just superior. And, and, and just, just better than others in, in some way. Notice with me verse 16. We'll just take a look at that. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, never be conceited. Not just on Wednesdays, but never be conceited. So, so what do you do with that? What do you do? And the shorthand for this right now is when you are feeling superior to someone else, pray for God's humility. Pray for, God, for humility from God. Because the tragic and scary thing is that you believe at that moment that you are worthy of Jesus' affection and they're not. Did you hear how awful that is? You believe you are worthy of Jesus' affection and they're not. They're the bride too. Well, Love one another um, with brotherly affection. Be devoted with warm family affection to one another in brotherly love. The third thing then here, not only, not only do we need to remember every single day the affection of Jesus, or we won't be able to do any of this. We remember the affection of Jesus we seek to show warm affection to our brothers and sisters. And then in a very practical way, we come to the next part of the verse, and it says, outdo one another in showing honor. You could read the verse this way, love one another with brotherly affection by outdoing one another in showing honor. This is practicing affection, practicing it. Now, I believe that books do not change people, but sentences do. 
What do I mean by that? A guy named John Piper, who many of you have heard of, um, has written a ton of books, and I've read many of them. Um, and they're all, well, well, I've read many of them. And, um, and they're good, they're good. But what has changed me about the life and the ministry of John Piper is a sentence. And the sentence is, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied with him. You, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. You don't need to read John Piper now. That's it. Everything else falls out of that. That has changed my life. And, and here is another sentence that can change your life. Outdo one another in showing honor. This sentence can change you as it is, as it is worked into you by the Holy Spirit. It, it can change you. It can change your close relationships. It can change your friendships in this room. It can change your marriage. It can change change your family, to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, it is instinctive for us. It is a human tendency to treat other people how they treat us. We measure out honor with the, the, the measure of honor that we've received. If someone treats us kindly, we are more than willing to treat them kindly. If someone treats us unkindly or simply ignores us or or disrespects us in some way, we are likely to treat them similarly. We treat other people as we perceive that we have been treated ourselves. But affection comes from faithfully putting the other's needs above your own uh, 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 and their interests and their desires. Here's And listen to me, no matter how you feel, Now, that may sound like I'm conflicted with what I said earlier. Stay with me. Affection comes from faithfully putting the other person's needs above your own, his desires, um, her interests, above your own, no matter how you feel. Why? Why is that? Why do you need to do things you don't feel like doing? Because you don't feel like doing them because you are proud. And when you do them anyway, that is an act of humility and it chokes at least a little bit of the pride that you have in your heart. To step out, even when someone has not treated you well, to step out and outdo that person in showing, on, showing honor um, is a blow to your pride and to the glory of God. Now, I want to mention several areas in which we can apply this. But we want to be... Fr- we, this, the, the sense of this phrase is to be in friendly competition, to be the first one to show honor. <laughs> Outdo one another. No, I'm going, to show, I'm going to show honor before you can show honor to me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rush to do that. Sometimes Gail and I have wasted a lot of time trying to outdo one another. Where do you want to go to eat? Oh, wherever you want to go. Where do you, where do you, wherever you want to go. Somebody say something! <laughs> outdo one another in showing, in showing honor. Well, in, in marriage, this is a sentence, brothers and sisters, that I want you to... It's told from the standpoint of the husband, but it works both ways. My desire um, to receive something from my wife 
must never exceed my desire to love and listen to her. My desire to receive something from my wife must never exceed my desire to love and listen to her. In other words, never want something more than to love her and listen to her. Nothing, nothing is of higher value in your heart than that. So you curb your freedom whenever it is offensive to your spouse. A story that uh, Mike Mason tells in his book on, um, on, on marriage is, uh, is, is a, a husband who was firing up his chainsaw uh, right outside the kitchen window or whatever on a, on a routine basis, and it was just bugging his wife to death. And it was becoming, it was becoming a point of real tension uh, in, the, in the marriage. The chainsaw noise was so aggravating. Ladies, do you get what I'm saying here? Men, do you understand what I'm saying here? Okay. Um, and and the, initial, the initial approach went something like this. The husband would say to the wife, if she brought it up, um, um, you're just not being reasonable. It's a project I have to do. You're, you're being unreasonable. Women are overly sensitive. That'll go over well. Your food mixer is louder than my chainsaw. Where's, where is that going to go? What good place is that going to go? How about this? Just stop using your chainsaw when she's around. Just stop. It's a simple question, really. How much, how much do you love? So principle here is surrender as much as possible for the other person. And it works both ways. And the more you surrender to her, guess what you're going to see, guys? She's going to, she's going to outdo you in surrendering to you. That's the way it works. Outdo one another in showing honor. Well, what, what about, what about in, in friendships and in family relationships? Um, here, here's people... You've got to be able to wear this. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to go where you feel you're taken advantage of in some way, and you've got to, you, you've got to put this on yourself. Just an example of this in, in our homes or in the church as well. Um, you, you get, you receive some, and maybe it's especially in our homes, <laughs> but you get a snitty comment from someone in the home. You know what I mean by snitty? It just, you just didn't need to say it. It had an edge to it. It was just, it didn't pass the smell test. It was just a, it was just a zinger, okay? So what do you do? You swallow, you swallow that zinger before you get off your, your tasty little retort. You just swallow it. And, and that feels like being a living sacrifice, doesn't it? That's what it is. It's dying to self, and it's being a living sacrifice. In, in, in your friendships, in your friendships, it is possible, and I know one of, one of my daughters has experienced this, there is a hurt because um, it, it always seems like you are the one that is reaching out to friends. You are always the one that is trying to get together, trying to, trying to um, connect. Or, or you're the one that is saying you're sorry 
and the others just don't seem to get it. And you are in danger of hardening your heart and just, and just putting ice over it. Well, then she can call this time. And you just let her go. Kids, kids, kids in the home, I want, want you to think about how you can outdo one another, outdo your siblings. <laughs> at, at our men's breakfast yesterday, one of the, one of the dads said that uh, he, he gave an example of, um, of, of it, 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 sort of a, a rule in his household. The, the wife manages the remote control. You got that? That's what he said. The wife manages the remote. If you're going to watch something, it's, she's going to be the deciding vote on this. At least that's how I understood the conversation. Um, and, if, and if she wants to watch a Hallmark movie, well then, watch a Hallmark movie. And, and honestly, I don't mind doing that. It, they kind of get me too, you know. But anyway, you, you, watch, you watch what she wants to watch. What do you think about that? You are, you are outdoing, in that case, outdoing your, your, your wife and showing honor. And um, so siblings, what I want, or children, what I want you to think about is how in your family can you outdo your siblings in showing honor? Do you understand what I'm saying? How can you be the first one to show honor? How can you be the first one to give in your preference for the other person? How, how can you do that? It can be as simple as if there's one donut on the plate, you don't just go there and snatch that thing before the other one gets a chance. It can be just as simple as that. But you've got to wear it. Kids, you've got to wear it where you can lay aside your preference for the people in your family. And why is this so important? Why, why is it so important for you? It's, it's going, you will become aware of your pride. And if you become aware of your pride as a youngster, you are going to avoid many problems later. I promise you that. And you choke off, choke off a little bit of that pride. Is there anyone here today who does not have any idea about the degree of affection that Jesus has for you? Is there anyone here who still looks at a relationship with God as what I've got to do to merit forgiveness, what I've got to do to merit a place of safety and belonging in God's house? And it's up to you. Dear friends, turn your pride and turn your sin over to the Lord. Just look at Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the one who gives new hearts. He's the one who can make even us feel the same love and affection for this family as we have for our own. Let's pray. Father, we're, um, we're thankful that you are a God of mercy and compassion for your people. They who have affection for us. 
And so we would ask this day uh, that you would give us enough love for this day. That is a sense of love from you so that we're not scared and we're not driven and a welling up of love for you so we're not proud or selfish and a resulting love for others so we're not cold or distracted or distant. Let us know, Jesus, your affection. Holy Spirit, work it down deep in us so that we are set free. In the name of Jesus, amen.